0: The great thing I think about the Navy is that there's a job for everybody in the Navy, you just got to find the right one. Our Regimental Sergeant Major gave us a bit of a pep talk and he said, look, lots of things here you're not going to get right the first time and you're going to fail at. But you know what, failing at something's not that bad, but it's when you quit, you become a quitter. But just give yourself one more day when something tough happens before you quit.
1: In today's episode on the Social Mastery Podcast, Andrew and I have the pleasure of interviewing Rear Admiral Wendy Malcolm, and it was fascinating to learn about how she started in her career. Wendy was born in Victoria and spent a lot of her early years living in different parts of Australia before joining the Navy in 1987, a time when women couldn't serve on warships. Things have changed a lot since then, and Wendy has taken great joy in getting her hands on as many different types of jobs as possible in order to learn and keep things fresh. It reminds me of the book that we often quote here at Strive Stronger on Range by David Epstein, which is about embracing diverse experiences and perspectives, which helps us to thrive. This, I think, is one of the key learnings about social mastery. It's about broadening your mindset, being adaptable and embracing opportunities, which Wendy certainly epitomizes. In this podcast, Andrew and I get to learn not just about Wendy's career, but also how she implements social mastery in her life and why she is so passionate about what she does. We also discover how the mentors in her life have shaped her into the
0: leader that she is today.
2: But before we start, I just want to make sure, Rear Admiral Wendy Malcolm, are we okay to call you Wendy?
0: You can call me Wendy. You can call me whatever you like, actually, Andrew, but Wendy would be great. Thank you. Well,
2: coming from a sporting background, we had an O and E, a wire an animal, but I think Malcolm sounds a little bit too casual. So let's go with Wendy. The rough <laughs> framework I'd like to follow today is... One, find out about your career journey from a young woman entering the Navy to where you are now. I've got lots of questions. Two, I know, Anne, you've got some questions on this. The personal story, I want to find out a bit more about your work-life balance and how do you show up at home? How do you make that transition from operating at a high level at work? And and I'm interested in some of those stories about how you do that. Three, some of your lessons on social mastery. Uh, If you could tell a young Wendy a couple of key areas or a couple of key factors you've learned along the way? What 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 wisdom would you give to people listening? And number four, high-performance baker's dozen. I'm going to throw you 13 rapid-fire questions. You don't know what they are, and we're going to get the first response. So let's go with number one, your career journey. Uh, my two-year-old daughter says, last week, she thinks everything's last week. So let's go back to a little bit uh, more than last week. Can you tell us about when you first joined the Navy? How did that happen? And what was the first day like?
0: Oh, gee, we're going back a long way in time, Andrew. So I joined the navy straight from school. Uh, came out of year twelve and and joined from a really small country town in Victoria, uh, Alexandra near near Lake Ildon. So at that stage, the only jobs you could get in the town were at you know one job a year at the local bank and one job a year at the local factory. So my overwhelming urge was, how do I get out of this place and not come back? (laughs) So I was lucky enough, over my year 11, 12 summer break, uh, I went on something called the National Science Summer School uh, to Canberra. And whilst I was there, I had the opportunity to see this new place called the Australian Defence Force Academy. And I was like, wow, this place looks incredible. And, you know, they At that stage, it was fairly new, bringing women into the Navy. You got to get a degree, you had a career, all these opportunities. Uh, And for me, I was just like, this looks fantastic. This looks like, and the great saying of join the Navy, see the world. That was what I was aiming for. And uh, the first day I ever got on a plane was the first day that I joined the Navy. So I I was quite terrified.
2: So what age was your first flight?
0: 18 years old, on the 16th of January 1987, uh, flying from Melbourne to Canberra, uh, and arrived then with my big red suitcase, that was back in the days when suitcases didn't have wheels on them, so I had, you know, my whole life packed in one suitcase, it was a really hot boiling day in Canberra, and I got off this bus. And these army guys started yelling at me. And that was my first day in the Navy, joining the Tri-Service, Australian Defence Force Academy. And with, you know, several hundred other young people, uh, started my journey first at the Defence Academy and then then into the Navy.
2: I love that recall of the exact date. I love the recall of the red suitcase. But before we unpack that red suitcase and what was in it, tell me about growing up in, in Alexandra. What was the population?
0: Uh, 3,000 people. I didn't grow up in Alexandra. I moved around many small country towns in Victoria. My dad was a high school teacher and we lived in a a number of really lovely spots. Uh, Portland in Western Victoria, where my family was from, up into Mount Beauty at the base of Falls Creek. Learned to ski there. Lived in Point Lonsdale in Port Phillip Bay, uh, so we moved around a lot of small country towns, so it had had nine nine schools during my life and, and moved around quite a lot, so Alexandra was where I spent the majority of my teenage years, but yeah, a very sleepy hollow.
2: There's a saying that the former Australian cricket captain Steve Waugh used to say, Wendy, it's, do you light up a room when you walk in, or does a room light up when you walk out? <laughs> uh, would be a career limiting move for me to say oh the room really lights up when you leave but uh, when you walk into a room you you do fill it with energy and you have a personality. Interesting when I get to do a podcast or when Ange and I get to sit with someone, we can ask the questions you've always wanted to ask people. That makes sense to me, going to nine different schools growing up, you learn to adapt to an environment. So similar, my dad was in the Department of Agriculture. I think I went to six or seven different schools and you just get settled, especially those formative years, early high school years. It's pretty hard, right? You've got your friendship group and then in your teenage years, you go to another school. So what what did that teach you in that period in your life?
0: Luckily for me, probably a bit like yourself, Andrew, I was sport mad um, as a child and a teenager. I was never an elite athlete like yourself, but I loved playing tennis, netball, basketball, hockey. Uh, I loved Aussie Rules football. I loved watching and playing cricket. I think that was the way that I made friends and connected with people everywhere I went um and for me it was always kind of exciting of wow you know I'm gonna I'm gonna meet a whole new bunch of friends uh so I never really had an issue with all that moving around and it was always you know just great to to meet different people so and sport was really the thread that that kept me going and all that
2: and and when you go back and reflect and you Probably didn't know we are going to do a, an expose like, Wendy, this is your life. I feel like Mike Munro's coming <laughs> with the big red book. But what, what are some of those lasting memories growing up? Is there a town? Is there a place? Is there something you remember from your family that really had an impression on you?
0: Oh, I really loved... We lived in uh, a little town, Point Lonsdale, on the edges of Port Phillip Bay, and we just lived at the beach from about the age of five for about three or four years And, you know, some of my happiest memories are, you know, trudging down to the beach, spending the whole day playing on the beach and building sandcastles, throwing sand at each other, you know, out in the waves for hours at a time, you know being forced to come in and have lunch was probably the worst part about it it's like look we're too busy to eat mum you know but that's kind of you know some of the things I really remember and then at the other extreme going to live and live and go to school in Mount Beauty in Victoria you know skiing was on the school curriculum I thought I had died and gone to heaven and so having never seen the snow here I was in grade six you know seeing snow for the first time learning how to ski, just this whole new world of opportunity opened up in cross-country skiing and downhill skiing and, you know, it was just a great world. So even though we lived in small places, there are always really interesting places and whether it was the beach or the snow, uh, you know, there was lots to do outside and outdoors.
2: Uh, At Point Beauty there wouldn't have been many ships in the creek but I imagine when you're sitting there at Point Lonsdale you would have looked out did you see some marine craft did that plant in your mind this desire to go and work in the navy or were you like a lot of leaders we talked to just go that was a really good option and then the career took over from there
0: I never really had an urge to you know join the navy as a younger child nobody in the family had ever been in the navy um, I didn't have this mad, crazy urge to go sail yachts or anything. And it was actually, to, to be fair, when I walked into a defence recruiting centre, the Navy got to me first, and I thought they sounded so fantastic that I didn't bother looking at the Air Force or the Army. But it was, wasn't something that I really had focused on at a young age. Um, my number one aim, Andrew, was get out of the country town, get the hell out of Dodge and escape. <laughs> that was really the focus. It sounds and like I,
2: me. I, I finished school in Dubbo. So that's, <laughs> And hello to all my friends who, if you are listening in Dubbo. But I mean, you've had that idyllic lifestyle in small country towns. But I, I get it. You wanted to go on to something that would challenge you, a different environment.
1: I'm really curious, Wendy, when you walked up to that Navy uh, careers fair almost, what did they say to you to draw you in so much
0: I think I you know I was really worried about is the navy going to want me have I got what the navy wants and so I kind of walked in not feeling very confident saying oh I'd really just be interested in whether or not the navy would let me join and um, the fantastic recruiter that I I you know met made me feel welcome, special, uh, that the Navy was a wonderful place. I was going to join the Navy and see the world. I was going to have fantastic experiences. I was going to make great friends. And he convinced me that I was the person that the Navy wanted, you know, rather than the other way around. So it was a great opportunity and a great exercise in uh, you know, thinking, well, oh, geez, I'm not, I'm not sure whether I'm the right fit for the Navy. And the, and the great thing I think about the Navy is there, there's a job for everybody in the Navy. you just got to find the right one. Uh, and so that certainly, you know, from my perspective, was a great first encounter. Uh, they were really good at following me up to see that I still wanted to join and um, yeah, it, it really went from there.
2: Great recruitment strategy. I, I'll just paraphrase that, Ange. It's about belonging. It's about inclusion. It's about having opportunities around the world for the young country girl who's been in towns, you know, great towns skiing, fishing. Country Victoria, skiing, fishing. We don't add a G. Um, <laughs> you've had positive experiences and then also friendship. What a great recruitment strategy.
0: Yeah, I was sold. Yep, they didn't have to ask me twice, Andrew. (laughs) I've got an
1: article from the Defence News here, uh, Wendy, when it talks about when you're, you're recalling that when you were younger, you were, like you've expressed here, very excited joining the Navy. But you also reflected that there were many things that women can't do. And I'm really happy that now that there is a lot more opportunities for women. I have a daughter that's six. Um, you've got a couple of teenage uh, kids. What do you? What will you tell women that are young women growing up and wanting a career in a leadership position or in defence uh, that are a bit uncertain?
0: i think what i would say to them is this is really about choosing your own adventure if you want to get out there and give life a go the defense force whether it's navy army or air force they just give you such incredible opportunities Uh, so you know when i joined the navy you couldn't become a clearance diver you couldn't go on submarines Um, you couldn't actually go on the warships you could only go on the support ships within a few years of me joining the opportunity to be on board all of our warships was opened up we also have you know in recent years opened up opportunities for doing clearance diving and those sorts of things i had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go go to sea on a submarine for a couple of days uh, which was a real bucket list thing for me and i really wanted to give it a go and i just I had the best time. I just thought it was the most fantastic experience. In some ways, I was quite terrified because I thought, oh, I don't want to do anything wrong or, you know, am I going to get nervous when the submarine dives? I really just made the most of it and just had a great time and just loved the, the family atmosphere of the submarine. It's a very tight crew they really look after each other. And i the one regret I had was it wasn't something that was open to me when I joined the Navy because it was just so much fun. And, you know, things like that I really reflect on. There is just so many different things you can do and you, you can really choose your own adventure. It doesn't matter whether you're a techo or an operator or you want to do logistics. And the great thing about the Navy is... Wherever the pointy end of the ship goes, you all go with it. So, you know, you might be, uh, some people are fighting the war in the operations room. You know, you've got your helicopter fl- pilots flying the helicopter off the back of the ship. But you all go together as a team. And that was one of the things that I really loved the Navy.
2: And Can I say, as a male listening to that, it's embarrassing that it took us that long to catch up. And, and this is in sport as well. Wendy, you know, I, I work in sport and rugby league. We've just added women's teams. My, my son, who's 11, will say stuff like, Dad, do you realise when Nance, my mother, his grandmother, was, was a young girl, that She couldn't do certain jobs. So we are now, we have a whole generation, Wendy, of young kids, young men and women growing up that go, oh, that's archaic. So thankfully, we've caught up. Thankfully, you were persistent and patient and you had the great recruitment strategy. So I I do want to unpack that red case a little bit. So I don't wanna know exactly what was in it. That's a bit weird, what was in your suitcase? But yeah, when you did unpack that, can you can you go through, a, were there a few sliding door moments were there events or was it a person or people that really got you on the trajectory to where you are? So can you pinpoint one or two key moments that really helped you go to the next level?
0: Yeah, so one of the things that happened, um, we joined our division, You know, joined 30 young people I'd never met before in a division of about 100 so first second and third years and a lot of our first few weeks was about learning about drill learning about how to speak to people properly in the, in the services uh, learning about the military learning about you know uniforms and all the different things that you learn in in, in our basic training basically a lot of people put their hand up and went, hey, you know what, this isn't for me. They felt that, you know, perhaps the discipline was a bit harsh. You know, it was pretty tough. It was a pretty tough boot camp back then. Uh, and if you weren't used to uh, being yelled at and told to move in a hurry, uh, that could be a, you know, that could be a, a bit of a shock to people.
2: So the, the, the jock in me is coming out so tough, so there's some verbal feedback. Tough physically though. What 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 would an average day Yeah, look like? tough
0: physically. You know, getting up early, uh, six a, six a.m. reveille after breakfast, uh, marching practice. Um, you know, learning about military law, learning about the services. I remember particularly in the first month, there was a big guy who was in my section. He was he was about six foot seven. He was really tall, and he's very quiet. And he joined the army. We were out in the hot sun, all lined up, and uh, he fainted and landed full on on his jaw and ended up with seven stitches on his jaw, and he was just like, that's it. I'm not doing this. I'm going home. Our regimental sergeant major got us all out the next morning and gave us a bit of a pep talk. And he said, look, lots of things here are going to be hard. Lots of things here you're not going to get right the first time and you're going to fail at. But you know what, failing at something's not that bad, but it's when you quit, you know, when you quit over one thing, you might find you quit over another and then you become a quitter. So this is gonna be tough, but just give yourself one more day when something tough happens before you quit. And to me, that was really great advice because there were days where I was like, I'm not going to make it through here. (laughs) And it was just a really great way of going, you know what, I'll just sleep on it and maybe the world will look a bit better tomorrow and and generally that was the case
2: what a great pep talk and i can't help but think the six foot seven that in in the american military i've read a lot about this yeah you know, navy seals and the buds training they call them the prancing ponies they're normally the ex-athletes and, and just sort of kicking me out of the table that sort of prance in and go yeah i've got this and they find it's the quieter person, more you know not as outrageous as far as coming in the room, who often outlasts. So I can't help but think I love that image of the young girl from country Victoria and this big six foot seven bloke fainting in the heat, and you're still there. <laughs> get, get on, Harden up, big fella, come on, get on with it.
0: Well, I was never I was never hardened up. It was just stick with it, keep going. You know I was never a star. Andrew at ADFA, I I never was one of the people who they went, oh, she's going to go on to do great things, uh, great things. I just stuck with it. And I just, you know, you just keep pushing along. Uh, And sometimes that's what it's about, particularly in the job that I do. I fix ships. Uh, That's kind of my job I do at the moment. And every single day, there's going to be a ship somewhere that's broken or something wrong with it. And if I gave up every time (laughs) there was a problem with, you know, one of the ships, uh, I wouldn't get very far. And and part of that is, you know, there's always going to be setbacks. There's always going to be failures. There's always going to be things that you think, gee, I could have done that better. And really, you know, the way I've tried to deal with that is learn from it. Don't give yourself too much of a hard time and beat yourself up. Uh, Just keep going, do your best uh don't expect perfection don't try for perfection but just keep going and learn and you know do your very best
2: you're understated you don't become a rear admiral yeah by just chipping away so there's some um, there's some real drive there as well and i've seen this with you you've got that beautiful ability to connect and wonderful domain expertise we'll talk about social mastery in a moment But do you look back? Obviously, that moment was a – I can hear that in your voice. Uh, The six-foot-seven guy faints and you're there. You have the pep talk. That's a pivotal moment. You've traveled around the world. You've been on on ships and seas all around the world. Did you ever have any moments where you thought – oh gosh my friends who are working in a building as a teacher in a bank at a consulting firm that would be an easier option than right now did you ever have any moments where you really questioned or did you have some real moments where you had to dig deep and really draw on that resilience
0: well actually the being at sea part that was the fun bit like you know when i first went to sea on hmas darwin uh many many years ago now got on board the ship and the first place I went to was Hawaii. It was fabulous. (laughs) So not only was I, you know, I was responsible for logistics, money changes, getting people fed, getting all the stores, all those sorts of things. But my other job on board the ship was I was the helicopter control officer. So I was sort of like the air traffic controller who sits on the back of the ship and and you, uh, you know, pass the information to the helicopter and they land on the back of the ship like so the ship is moving so it's an airfield that's moving bouncing up and down and you've got a helicopter trying to land so doing that with a helicopter landing you know meters from your head and and where you are it was it was really exciting i had a great time we went you know to pacific nations uh, we went to the philippines we went to indonesia like it was fabulous when i came off that ship I posted to um, a little a little building in Canberra, and I had a little spot there that was a bit of a broom cupboard. And it was the ANzac Ship project. And I arrived there, and I had all these contracts and plans and blueprints. and I was like, what am I doing? You know the exciting stuff, deploying, landing helicopters, visiting foreign countries. That seemed like a, a really long way away. And I was just like, what am I doing here? My boss took me down to Melbourne and we were crossing the Westgate Bridge and I could see HMAS Anzac sailing out of Port Phillip Bay. And I was just like, the penny dropped. I was just like, oh my God, that is what we're building. This is incredible. All those plans and blueprints and contracts This has built this amazing, brilliant, incredible warship. And that was a real turning point for me. I really felt like this is is exciting. This is what I want to do.
2: I love that and I love seeing the enthusiasm and you, you've lit up the room or the screen even more there's a great book I like It's the author is David Epstein and Anne knows this book because I talk about it regularly called Range R-A-N-G-E and so some of the collective parts get you to where you are so the young girl growing up in country Victoria that goes to lots of little different towns nine schools learns communication skills state management how to adapt all the technical stuff I talk about you, you learnt as a young woman you go there with your red suitcase unpaid that first flight at an 18-year-old, why am I here? Because it was a good recruitment strategy about belonging and inclusiveness and global opportunities and positive experiences and friendships. Then you get there and you're on the back of a warship and there's helicopters that's buzzing and I'm getting to the point. The collective parts of what you've done have got you in the position where you're totally meant to be. Because a lot of people talk about Malcolm Gladwell's incorrectly quoted 10,000 hours of domain expertise. He actually borrowed inverted commas, stole that from a guy named Eric Anders, a psychologist, who said uh, domain expertise takes perfect practice. And then a journalist said, oh, do you you think you know how much time? He said, I think it's around 10,000 hours. But Gladwell elevated that to become the the punchline. But when I listen to you more and more, that collective part, and then you're up along the bridge in Melbourne, you look out and go, oh, I'm meant to be here. Love that.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing is too that, you know, the 10,000 hours piece, one of the things about a job in the navy is you're always learning there's always new things to learn about there's always new people to meet and understand so you know i don't think you know i couldn't say to you you know i've got ten thousand hours in a particular area that makes me a domain specialist it's more about i'm on a journey where i continue to ask questions and continue to challenge myself and continue to try and learn and do things better. And in fact, it's it's almost, you know, fail better than what you did yesterday. So, you know, I often say to people that in my job, it's the art of delivering bad news well, because I always have bad news. I always have things that break or things that, you know, we've got to get parts for, but it's about how you approach it and how you approach the problems that's important. Not that it's perfect or not that you always get it right.
2: I think it's also the art, and there's a science on this, on curiosity and constant learning because when people – wake up in the same bed in the same house and go the same way to work or during COVID, the same computer in the same room, I'm at eight o'clock, Angela, I stop and you have the same conversations with the same people and you get the same coffee. We check out and it becomes this monochrome sea of grey. So I see that there's this curiosity in you, this constant learning. How have you fostered that or how have you tapped into that? And has it always been there? were you one of those kids that got a bit bored at school so you had to keep doing different things
0: i think that was a little bit a little bit like that i worked with a lady a few years ago and i gave her a 40-year service certificate and she had done the same job for 40 years and i thought it was the saddest thing i'd ever heard i just thought I thought about the job that i was doing 40 years ago and that was a great job but the concept of doing the same thing for 40 years oh i was just like i just couldn't do that so it's another great thing about the navy they they make you go do a new job every couple of years so you're never quite in your comfort zone you don't get to stay anywhere and do that forever so i actually like that i kind of get to the point where i'm like yeah what's next what are we going to do now and so part of that is always you know i I really like to do the best job that i'm in but when you kind of across it and then you think okay, I think I've got the hang of this now. That's probably about the time to go and, you know, really scare yourself silly and do something completely new. I
2: love that notion of stretch and what a great segue. And thank you for volunteering because, you know, Dino Gladstone, who's from Bondi Rescue, Dino is running a breathwork and ice therapy program as part of this program and we will do breathing for the first couple of weeks and then there's a cold water immersion. So did you hear that, Ange? Uh, Wendy said she loves challenge. And thank you for agreeing to do the, the ice work at the end. It's only. Two or three minutes in a cold ice water bath. That's really good stretch and challenge. How great is that?
0: I think you've been holding <laughs> Wendy? <laughs> I think we're getting sewn up here, Angela.
2: <laughs> well, I'm getting sewn up. Angela, I know you're already excited about the Hewitt test that we're doing because uh, when we did meet Wendy when we first started talking about this program and we're in your office and I think I asked a question about the training everyone goes through and then Wendy's eyes are up and said, oh, you're Hewitt test. That's so when we do it down on the south coast and you do the submersion. I went, oh, is that a little bit like you watch this? What's this show on TV? Is it not Survivor? Uh,
0: SAS, I think
2: it's the SAS show, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's SAS show on Channel Seven. I watched that and go. Oh, I'd love to do that, and Angela said I can't think of anything worse. And then Wendy, <laughs> I
1: think, I think you just said yes, I'll do that. And I sat there having no clue what Hewitt stood for, and being the somewhat cautious person that I sometimes can be, I'm like, what is that? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so it wasn't until you understood that it was helicopter yeah, underwater the escape training with, that with I think blindfolds. I saw, <laughs> I saw the look of fear on your face, Angela. I was somewhat worried because Andrew seemed to be really excited about that, and he dobbed you in pretty quickly. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> stretch.
2: Wendy said she's an esteemed career. By constantly growing learning. Andrew, I'm doing this. It's supportive.
1: Oh, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> and I actually went and I had to Google it and I I found some videos of what the Hewitt test actually involves. And it is as equally terrifying as I thought it would be. But there was also a part of me that actually found it quite exciting. So it's it's like a controlled roller coaster ride where you get terrified but you're in a safe space. This is what I'm telling myself anyway.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, that's another great thing about the Navy is uh, we're really good at doing that sort of training that, you know, whilst it's going to be, you know, a little bit scary and a little bit frightening, you will be in the best possible hands and I guarantee you're going to feel like a million dollars when you do that. You really are.
1: I'm sure of it and I have complete trust with the team. Wendy, you spoke a lot about traveling and one of the key reasons why you came into the Navy was the ability to get out of that small town in Alexandria. Tell me, what's your most favorite place or what's been the most fascinating fascinating place you visited and why?
0: Oh, that's, that's an easy answer, this one. We can probably talk about this a bit more, but I actually got out of the Navy for three years, um, a little while back and went and worked in defense industry. As part of that, though, we went on a family holiday overseas and my hubby and I had to agree on where we were going to go. We argued about this for a while and I got to the point where I said, listen, if you don't make a decision soon, I'm going to go to Vegas by myself. So, you know, let's make a call here. So we decided to go to India for a month. And this is with uh, a 12 year old and a nine year old girl. And they had been, we'd been to Singapore, but we hadn't been really anywhere else overseas um, at that stage. And we landed in Delhi and it just blew our minds. Like it is just, everything is just chaos and loud and noise and people everywhere and it was just, hubby and i were like this is going to be really good for our children this is going to challenge them boy weren't we the ones that were challenged like i you know you get in a car or a bus i just thought i was going to die every second of the day that i was in transport because the chaos that is the transport system uh in india and the way that they drive and drive around each other and you know a motorbike would go past with seven people on the motorbike, and you just go, what is going on here? It was crazy. But we went north uh, around uh, the northern part of India, including to the Taj Mahal, which had been something that I'd always wanted to do. And then we went south uh, down to um, Pondicherry, which is a little French Indian uh, sort of area. And it was just mind-blowing in terms of like you just felt really alive. We did everything from going on safari and seeing tigers in the wild to, you know, the Taj Mahal, which was every bit as wonderful as I thought it would be. Uh, but just the incredible richness of the history and the beautiful architecture and the people that we met in, Indi- in India just really blew my mind. It was incredible and it just woke us up it's just you just realize you've been kind of you know your work it feels like a little bit like groundhog day and you go traveling and it just opens your mind up and i think that's one of the things when when andrew talks about stretch you know travel i think really does stretch us and forces us to get out of our comfort zones
2: i love that story i thought we were going to get an overview of you going to vegas by yourself having this like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I, I just think of bachelor party, <laughs> partying with Mike Tyson and the MGM Grand. Did you ever end up going to Vegas?
0: No, no, but it's still a threat that if we don't go on our overseas holidays, I'm I'm going to go with my best friend Jane and we'll go to Vegas and have a great time. So it's a good way to get us talking about the next overseas holiday. Which I, I work
2: ha- with a boxer who's got a big fight at, uh, at MGM Grand in January in Las Vegas, so you want to come?
0: I'm not sure if I'm going to sell that one, um, but uh, we're hoping – Happening happen to go to Europe next year. That would be good.
2: That sounds like more civilising, hanging out with me in Vegas. <laughs> and, and <boxes.
1: laughs> Wendy, that sounds like an amazing experience as well that you've given to your kids in terms of the the ability to travel and see the world. Wendy, in your role, you're a very senior, you're a rare admiral. How does this translate to the family home? Do you have a hierarchy at home?
0: Uh, yeah, hubby's in charge. <laughs> <laughs> the Admiral does not come home. In fact, I sometimes talk to people about when I go to work and come home from work, I call the car the TARDIS. And it's like when I get in the TARDIS, I think, and I'm going to work, I kind of really, you know, get myself thinking about where I'm going. So, you know, getting ready for work, thinking about the challenges that are going to happen that day. Who are the people I want to talk to? What's happening? You know, are there any crises going on? And then at the end of the day, I get back in the TARDIS and I'm thinking about going home and I'm thinking about seeing my kids and seeing my hubby and, you know, just try not to. I try to treat the worlds and give them my full attention when I'm there. So that's, that's uh, how I do that and try to be really, you know, completely focused on one or the other. Now, that doesn't always work when, you, when your phone's got lots of bad news for you at any time of the day or night. But certainly, you know, I've been really lucky um, with my partners to the great thing is I'm a terrible cook and he's a fabulous cook. So that's that's the best thing. But he's also one of those wonderful guys who anything I can do as a mum, he can do, like he can do everything from cook, clean, um, look after the kids, take them to the doctor, deal with girls' issues. And he doesn't shy away from any of that. He doesn't see that as, you know, that's your job and that's my job. So he's always been incredibly supportive of my career. And we're a team, we're a team that looks after and, and looks after the family, looks after each other. And in fact, I currently work in Canberra and the family actually lives in Perth. So it's the world's worst commute, uh, especially in COVID. Although I will confess that during COVID, I I got myself uh, stranded in Western Australia and uh, didn't come back. <laughs> so I didn't come back until, you know, the borders opened. Because you might remember that in Western Australia, Mark McGowan um, closed the borders uh, and we led in many ways a, pretty normal life in the west and nothing nowhere near as hard as you know the poor people in melbourne and canberra sydney did in terms of lockdown and isolation so i got to spend loads of time with my family during COVID. um but there's no there, there there ain't no hierarchy where the admiral is in charge when we're at home angela i hate to say in fact people sometimes say to me you know if I say, "Oh, you know, I've got to get home and clean the house," and they said, "Oh, will it pass admiral's rounds. Yes, it might, it might pass admiral's rounds, but more importantly, will it pass hubby's <laughs> rounds?" You know, so I love
2: it.
1: You're like the epitome of the modern family, completely flipping this gender stereotypes on its head, and such a great example for your two daughters, two daughters as well, to pick a partner that is actually going to be a true partner in life, not just you know, like the stereotypical male goes to work and and the female um, stays at home, which is very archaic. Andrew, you had a question.
2: I I was giggling, thinking it's a long TARDIS ride from (laughs) Canberra to Perth. So you got a fair bit of time to download and get ready for the conversation with hubby and the kids. And lots of time that was being a little bit flippant. But I I do really like that frame because in sports psychology, we call that managing state. And we we now call that Dr. Tom Buckley and I performance intelligence. So how you consciously shift your physical, your psychological and emotional state. So you show up for what matters and your example on that. And Andrew, as Wendy was saying, I just said, oh, that's, that's PQ. That's performance intelligence. Did you, were you taught that or did you just learn that from some feedback at home that you might be better to change your state?
0: I think there was a bit of feedback you know I think that's one of the great things about my relationship uh, with my partner is there is good feedback we we are really honest with each other but I think it really came home to me when I I had um, another young officer she was coming back from mat leave and coming in to work with me um, to look after our warships in the west and I said to her I said right you're going to come work for me you've got two kids under the age of two Um, You're going to put them in childcare and they're going to get sick like nonstop for the next year and you're going to be beside yourself because you're trying to do a new job, you're trying to be organised, you're trying to get your kids to and from childcare, you're trying to show up and be professional Uh, and I said to her, you know what, don't even worry about it, you are going to take loads of time off. The little darlings are going to give you every virus and cold uh on the planet
2: every parent is nodding profusely every right
0: now. parent is nodding and i said and don't give yourself a hard time about it you're gonna have to take time off you're gonna have to concentrate on the family just don't worry about it just give yourself permission to to go you know what it's the balancing act is really the juggle and and trying to figure out what's important when and I said to her, and the good thing to look forward to is that when your kids end up going to school, they'll have great immune systems and they won't catch nearly as much stuff as the other kids who've been at home um, for the last five years. But it's really about, I think, trying to understand is you know what's important to you when, and recognizing and giving yourself permission that, you know, particularly when you've got a young family. Things won't always go to plan. And and particularly I think women often give themselves a really hard time at not getting it all perfect. And I've just said to lots of people, you know, don't even worry about that. You're not going to get it perfect. You need to do your best. You need to make your family your priority. If you're off, you know, for weeks at a time because they've caught everything under the planet. This particular young officer rang me up and said, you're not going to believe this, the kids have now caught scarlet fever. And I was like, okay, I haven't heard that one for a while, but don't worry about it, you know, just come back to work when you can. And and I think supporting people when they're bringing up young kids and, and recognising that it's really tough. It's tough to work and have kids in childcare and, you know, I often remember that you know just trying to get myself from the house to work um having you know sorted out kids and dropped them off to child care and you know by the time i got to work you felt like you needed to you know go and have a Bex and a good lie down because you're just exhausted Absolutely. <laughs> so i think it's yeah just remembering that it's it's tough and trying to do everything you can to help people and say you know what it's going to be hard and you don't have to be perfect and just let us know if you need a hand.
1: Wendy, you share such great uh, lessons uh, that people can learn from. And is this something that you've just developed through experience or did you have a great mentor that helped you through throughout your career, but also on some life lessons as well? And if they were, who were they?
0: Look, I've had fantastic bosses along the journey. I think one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got given was you're better off to choose your boss than a job. You can fix a job that's not great, but you can't fix a boss that's not great. And I've had some fantastic bosses who really supported me and did the sort of things I was just talking about then when I had young children and that most of them were male bosses. Nearly all my bosses were male. They encouraged me, they gave me terrific support, Um, they gave me opportunities, Um, they challenged me to, you know, take on things that were a bit harder. I had a really tough boss when I was a young lieutenant, his name was, um, he was the fleet commander, so he was in charge of all the fleet, and his name was uh, uh, Rear Admiral Rack Walls, Robert Andrew Kevin Walls. And he was a scary fellow. And there that was name a saying, sounds scary. walls. Oh, so I yep, just have this yep. vision
2: of this this Hulk. monster guy walking out with big <laughs> arms and a, a big chiseled jaw.
0: Well, Rackwall's was a uh, he was a formidable individual, and there was a saying that if you ever got on the wrong side of the wall, you'd never get back. He was a he was probably the first mentor that I ever had. He was tough to work for. But he would explain things to me and he would take me into his confidence and, you know, talk about why he was doing the things he was doing. And he had some great lessons too. And it was, you know, uh, trust is really important. Everything else can be fixed, but but trust can't be. So you've always got to be honest. If you've got good news, share it with me faster so we can celebrate. And if we've got bad news, give it to me faster so we can damage control. So he just had a way of encouraging me uh supporting me uh, and we've been friends for 30 years uh, and there's often you know i will often go to him and say hey look you know i've got this problem or i want to do this thing and he's just a great sounding board and he's been you know one of my you know closest friends and confidants for a really long time. So um, he was pretty formidable, Andrew, and um, he could be pretty scary. Uh, but if you worked hard and you're honest, uh, he tended to give you a go. So uh, I've got a reflection
2: yeah, was- and then I've got a question for you, Ange. As you're talking about rack walls, I was going to try and deepen my voice as I say that, Wendy. I, I think back on some of the mentors I've had and they were tough, but they taught me discipline. They taught me excellence or they taught me mastery. And at the time I may have been annoyed and swear sometimes and what do they know, but I would go away and reflect. I can't help but think now in the current political climate, socioeconomic climate, we can't maybe give that feedback or how would a rack walls go right now? Yeah, where We want to have feedback. We want to give people that time to develop. Did you think that's a challenge now for the military?
0: I think we've definitely changed. I think the old style, uh, maybe scream and yell and berate that might have been around 50 years ago, I, I don't think we do that as much. Well, I don't think we do it. But I think you can still, you still need to be straight and tough with people and get across to them if if their performance needs to improve or change. I, I think we're actually really good at that and we need to be. And I think sometimes that's about understanding the common purpose, and this was something that, um, you know, Admiral Rackwalls taught me, and that was really about, you know, every single day, what are we doing to help the men and women who are deployed on our ships and may find themselves in harm's way? You know, what are you doing to help them? What are you doing to make sure that they're going to be safe, uh, they're going to be capable, and that they're gonna be able to do the job that they need to do. So I think, you know, when we're tough on people and when we give them, you know, tough feedback, that's about saying, you know, there's nothing more important than our men and women who are out there every day on our Navy ships. You've got to be your best because you've got to make sure that you're supporting them. You've got to bring your very best so that they can bring their best. So I think understanding where you're going and why, And understanding that performance is important and you've got to bring your best. You don't have to scream and yell to get that across, but you do have to be honest and you do have to be prepared to have tough conversations.
2: Mm. And underpinning everything you've spoken about that is trust, which is the bedrock for psychological safety. So, Anne, closing the loop, when you heard Wendy say that, do you think similar for you growing up as well? Was it the tough feedback that has really helped you grow and learn? Or did you, did you process in a different way?
1: In terms of some of the toughest feedback that I've ever received, it's come from you. <laughs> but I've also experienced the greatest growth, uh, I think, through working with you, Andrew. So as tough as you are in terms of uh, – because you're very blunt sometimes in your feedback and we've got that relationship where I know – but it's a safe – space. I know that there's trust there. So, Wendy, when you spoke about trust, I think that is really key and important in uh, an employee-employer or a team relationship where you need to have that trust in order to, so that as somebody receiving the feedback, you know that it's for you, your own personal development. It's nothing personal, but they're actually there and giving you that feedback because they care enough to invest time in your career. If you didn't care, Andrew, you'd be like, "Don't worry about it. I'll just do it myself." But that's not contributing to my growth.
2: I might be more like rack walls than I actually think. <laughs> coming from sport, <laughs> though, Wendy, it is very—it's immediate feedback, and there's a lot of parallels between elite sport and the military, which I really uh, am enjoying the experience of working with you and your team. But it is that—it's immediate, on-the-spot feedback and then move on. Whereas I think sometimes in life, Wendy, maybe it's outside, non-uniform, we'll sometimes go, oh yeah, you did a great job, or you don't give the feedback, and then you fester. And I just found that's, that's no good for anybody.
0: No, I, I agree with that. My current boss, Tony Dalton, uh, dolts to all of us. I've worked for him before. And you know, that trust thing that you talked about, Angela, to me, that's more important than it than anything. And I, you know, I think the thing I really love working with my boss is I absolutely know he's got my back. I know that he's going to support me. I know that he's never going to throw me under the bus. Um, And that, you know, that works both ways where, you know, we've got that trust and that's such an important thing because we might not always agree on everything, but we know that we can trust each other to, to say what we think, and and to work through it. So it makes such a big difference, I think.
2: And having had the opportunity of talking to Tony in the podcast as well, and for anyone listening, if you haven't listened to the one with Tony Dalton, go back and listen to that because he really opens up. So there's a side to Tony that I I, I didn't know. Obviously, we'd only met inside your office, but when we started speaking – There's a real compassion. There's a real story. I'm not going to give it away, but his story on how he got into the military and the gift that his parents gave him, you've got to listen. I'm doing a gratuitous plug for that. Um, But yeah, I can see how you two really would work together and and have that that feedback and that robustness. But there's a real compassion and care, which gets me onto, we've been speaking about social mastery this whole lesson. It's been a masterclass from you, Wendy. But on self-awareness, for someone listening to this, more of a junior employee, what what advice would you give them to increase their self awareness? Because that's where it all starts. That's the first phase of our model to be aware of you first of all before you're aware for others. What 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 tips? What coaching? What guidance?
0: I think um, seeking feedback and and truly listening to people. I think we one of the things we do in the military is we treat we treat our people as you know very highly trained experts. And we give them all these skills so that they can, you know, drive the warships, fly the helicopters, you know, become divers. You become very elite in those particular areas and you become quite expert in those things. So we tend to specialise, but then it's that piece about really how things get done is when you work together in teams and you appreciate each other. And you're always looking, you know, I I try to say to my people, always try and look to people to go, what is it that I haven't appreciated about you yet? What do you bring to the table that you can help the team? And particularly, how do I help bring out um, the way you can bring something special to what we're doing? I think trying to understand that, you know, it's a bit like a footy team. It's no good just having the guy who kicks all the goals. You need the great defence. Um, it's no good having the Ruckman getting all the hit outs if he hasn't got the Rovers you know, grabbing the ball and taking it away. Nobody can be a star unless we're all work together to be going in the same direction. So I think I sort of try and ask people to appreciate things in other people and what they can bring to the table. And again, as, as we were talking a bit before, Andrew, about being curious, always looking to learn from people, no matter where they are, whether they're young, old, are experts or brand new, they can all bring something new to the table. And the importance is listening to them and seeing what they can bring.
2: And you mentioned a great analogy with a footy team. And, and very quickly, I got that that was AFL because Australia, when we talk about footy, it could be soccer or in, in the UK, like all the great game. Uh, it could be rugby union, rugby league, but you chose AFL. So who's your AFL team?
0: Oh, my team is North Melbourne. So we've had a shocker of a year. So I've been a diehard Aussie Rule fan my entire life. Um, and I can remember the first game I ever went to, which was when we were living in Point Lonsdale and we went to Cadinia Park to see North Melbourne thrash the cats, it was excellent. And I can remember sitting on my dad's shoulders and um, seeing Keith Gregg sprint down the wing and that was it, I was hooked. So, um, and there were some good years for the North Melbourne Football Club. The last few haven't been great in terms of That's getting to the finals. That's an understatement, Rear
2: Admiral <laughs> Wendy Malcolm. I would say that you, you've, it's great that you've had a background of resilience and adversity <laughs> and let's sprinkle a bit of optimism. North Melbourne, come on. Well, the, the, the good thing is you can only improve, right? Um, there has been quite, it's been a terrible five years for North Melbourne supporters.
0: It has, it has. Look, the bright thing that's always in there, Andrew, and and you would know this, is that even if your team's not doing well, you can always hate Collingwood. So, you know, it brings all of us together. Everybody if, loves to hate Collingwood. If you said you're a
2: Collingwood supporter, I think I'd end the interview. Ange looking at me going, what are you on about? So let's get back onto topic. But I'll link this into something around you know, AFL players, men and women, wonderful athletes. What we see on the game in 80 minutes is only a part of it. It's what they do behind the scenes, the reps and sets. So what we see with you, 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 you easily – Converse from media to AFL to travel to being a mum and to dun, dun, dun. but you must have done a lot of work behind the scenes. I'm really curious. What what do you do behind the scenes on your own physical and psychological well being? Is there a routine there?
0: Not as good as it should be, Andrew. In fact, I was reflecting and thinking about the Strive Stronger program um that we're going to embark on and I'm I'm one of those people Andrew where the road to hell is paved with good intentions and I'm always hoping to do more and go to the gym more and do better on my diet so I'm hoping you're really going to help me and hold me accountable and I'm going to do better on that front um, I do love walking I love bike riding I spend a lot of time uh, on the beach uh, in wa um, my kids growing up spent a lot of time doing surf lifesaving that was loads of fun um, I could be better at those things uh, in terms of a daily routine uh, I come to work I work hard <laughs> I try to get myself home and eat properly. I tend to actually um, chill out and wind down I really like the app headspace short. Periods of meditation and and just winding down, I find that works really well for me. Like you were talking before, just trying to get yourself in the right headspace. Where when it's about work, you're right into that. But then trying to get my head out of it and making sure that I you know get good downtime, get good sleep. That's a big thing for me because you know there was a time when you can pretty much worry twenty four seven when you're trying to fix ships and keep them going. There's always something else that's going wrong or that you need to do or you need to follow up on. And I think having the having the discipline to be able to go, okay, I need to stand back from that now and chill out and wind down.
2: Now, I can't help myself when I put on my performance coach hat, but when you said, I hope, we're going to change that narrative and dialogue, <laughs> we're going to remove the words hope and should and might and could, will, I will absolutely help you and your team and and just thinking oh gosh is he going to be his normal blunt self no because i'm <laughs> yes maybe i can't help it but i've seen a great window and an opening so n- not joking but for anyone listening to this that's what the program's designed it's going to move from could or should or might or sometimes to will so i absolutely hand on my heart wendy will work with you and your team through this program question i've got Uh, And this is, men will go, what's he talking about? And you've heard me say this before, but I call it the triad. So females who have a family and either have kids in their immediate or extended family. So one and two, yes for you. Three, do you have religious or spiritual beliefs?
0: Not really, no. No, so uh not unless you count the football. You know, that's pretty that's oh, a religious it's, belief. It's basically
2: <laughs> you need some divine intervention for North Melbourne to get in Ouch. the top eight in the next ten years. So I'm gonna say all three. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, you are two. Come tough. on, you give me that's like playing softball and putting the softball <laughs> on the plate. Give me a bat and saying you've got three free swings. Uh oh, try- Angelo, I'm
0: getting Angelo, I'm getting really worried. I think he is gonna be really tough. I'm getting really nervous now. <laughs> Let's strap in there. <laughs> Angela does say to me when
2: I come back from working with NRL players, sometimes because the language, because you, you adapt and you do this beautifully, Wendy, and I might drop a few F-bombs or other words and Angela will say politely, Andy, you, you, you're not in sport now. You're in the corporate world. Go, oh, yeah. yeah. football <laughs> yeah. so, so anyway, back, back to you. The triad is women generally, who have families, immediate or extended. And if it's not religion, spirituality means there's a belief that there's a world out there or a belonging greater than you. And you're also very community-minded, so I'd tick yes for the triad. That means you often put yourself last when it comes to your well-being. Now, if anyone's watching this yes. on video, you are nodding profusely. Oh,
0: I'm nodding. So I'm, a, I'm not good at putting myself first and it's something that I struggle with because I always feel like there's other things I've got to fix or do so yeah I'm need to be held accountable and and like you say Andrew hope it's not a strategy
2: you've come to the right place and I'm going to just start (laughs) this and then I'll, I'll throw back to Ange but a lot of women who are listening to this now they're going to say two things one is oh he she is talking to me that's me we have just had that feedback over the years so much. The second thing, it starts with changing the narrative, that looking after myself is not selfish. It's self-management. Yeah? And when you look after yourself, you are a better insert. So I'm... I'm leading you down the path, Wendy, but when you do take some time for self-care, when you do find a a modality of exercise or movement that you enjoy, when you do, I love hearing you doing the psychological headspace is great, but when you do all that, what do you notice? What do you notice at work or what do you notice at home?
0: Oh, I notice that I sleep better. I notice that I'm more relaxed. Uh, I have better conversations Um, I connect better with, you know, at work and at home. So all those things, all those things, Andrew, that I know and I've read and I understand and yet I'm still, you know, not the best person in the world at always doing them.
2: I'm getting better Okay. It is, it's part of the language and I will get out of the coaching soon. But it's, it, it's such an interesting example on that, that you're in such an esteemed senior position. And for anyone listening, I love the vulnerability, Wendy, because we all need to do some self-care. And just wrapping this up, and we do a lot more of this in the program, but knowing what to do is self-awareness. You've got awesome self-awareness actually doing it in all parts of our lives is self-regulation. So that's why with the program we've put together on both the content with the webinars and the supporting digital platform, the podcast, and also the classes that that Wendy and Ange are both really looking forward to. I've linked you in too, Ange, on doing the breathing and ice water immersion with Dino. That's actually going to give everyone an experience to self-regulate. So it's exactly why we've designed the program, Wendy. So I'm excited. um, And I'm going to be throwing you in the front of all those classes. You didn't sign up for this, did you?
0: No, but it's going to be really good for me, so I'm very, I'm actually really excited. But I will admit, Andrew, I'm nervous too. I'm expecting to, uh, yeah, for the for the stretch and the grow that's going to come. So I think I'll have a, have to have a chat to Angela to figure out how I'm going to best cope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we can have a chat offline. Um, I've I've I echo you in terms of feeling nervous about the Hewitt test. So I'll let you know what my strategies are to cope with that. <laughs> Andrew, I'm going to steal the next part of the podcast because this has been such an enjoyable podcast with Wendy and I want to ask more of the questions. You've taken a lot of them. Wendy, I'm going to do some rapid-fire questions that are specific to high performance and we call these our high-performance Baker's Dozen. So just answer based on the top of your head. Okay. You ready to go?
0: I'm ready to go. All
1: right. First block of questions is about your favourites. What's your favourite song or
0: band? Oh, that one's easy. The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. Everything you need to know in life is in that song. Love it. Favourite movie? Look, I would say the Godfather series. Again, I think it's just an incredible story and the Godfather trilogy. If you haven't watched them, you've got to watch them all.
1: Fabulous. Favourite book?
0: Favourite book? (laughs) Look, this is going to sound ridiculous, but when I was a kid, Too much Enid Blyton was never enough. So I'm going to say anything by Enid Blyton. Famous
2: five. I grew up on that.
0: (laughs) I loved it. I loved it.
1: My daughter loves listening to Enid Blyton. Favourite possession?
0: I love jigsaw puzzles. So I would say my jigsaw collection. I love a good jigsaw puzzle.
1: What's your biggest uh, number of jigsaw puzzle pieces?
0: Um, 5,000. But I tend to stick to 1,000-piece puzzles because they're a good kind of size for a bit of a de-stress um, and you don't have to do it for weeks. Huh,
1: it's a mindfulness activity.
0: Favourite food? Oh, that's easy. Chocolate. <laughs> Easily chocolate.
1: Uh, okay. The next ones are about well being and productivity. What time do you wake up and go to bed each day?
0: Oh, I generally get up about six and go to bed at about 10. Pretty standard. It's
1: very reasonable. Do you have a morning routine?
0: Uh, it involves coffee. And I would tell you, Angela, I'm not really a great morning person. So there's another challenge for you, Andrew. And so uh, looking at my phone and having a coffee and best not to talk to me before I've been caffeinated.
1: I, you need one of those coffee mugs that says "Do not talk to me." Still waiting for coffee. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, what does your weekly fitness schedule look like?
0: Not great. So I'm, I'm just I'm just walking into heaps of heaps of strategies for Andrew to give me a hard time about. <laughs> I wouldn't say I currently have a weekly fitness strategy. I try to get to the gym, but I'm not I'm not good at keeping up the habit.
1: That's right. Things that we can work on. Tell me a go to productivity tip.
0: A go-to productivity tip. Uh, yep, not making a decision is making a decision. I love that. Stalling and procrastinating on things is just a form of making a bad decision. So you've got to try and get as much stuff as you can, gather it together and make the best decision you can at the time and get on with it. That's my That's my productivity tip.
1: <gasps> that's a good one. I love it. And the final block is relating to upbringing challenges and achievements. What is your most vivid childhood memory?
0: I talked a bit about being on the beach a lot as a kid. That's certainly part of it. Uh, I was really lucky my grandparents had a farm out near Portland in the Western District of Victoria. So, you know, my childhood memories are about Apple orchards and going out and herding sheep and you know getting tadpoles out of the dam and you know lots of running around getting muddy on a farm. So I have great childhood memories.
1: Sounds like a very idyllic childhood.
0: It was fabulous.
1: What is the biggest adversity you faced, and what does this and what did this teach you?
0: Um, my daughter got very sick. A few years ago, she had to have um, brain surgery and spinal surgery. That was really scary and really tough. She's, she's one of the bravest people I've ever met, the bravest person I know. That was really hard because I couldn't fix it myself. Um, and I had to learn to trust others to, to help fix those problems for me. She had problems with scoliosis and other things. Um, we ended up taking her to the United Kingdom and getting surgery for her. What did I learn from it? You can do, you've got to do all the research, you've got to do your very best, you've got to make the call, you've got to trust the experts and you've just got to hope that you get out the other side and, and do everything you can to, you know, help the people going through that, the whole family. So I think what I learned most out of that was, Put your faith in the experts. Cross your fingers, close your eyes, and hope for the best. So, and you just gotta, you just gotta be optimistic.
1: And how is she?
0: She's fabulous. In fact, one of the things that um, I was going to mention before, I never got to play Aussie Rules when I was a kid, and um, Elise came back from spinal surgery and brain surgery and she played football and she was awesome at it and won her grand final my younger daughter played football so a they were awesome at football and you know i got to live my life dream through my kids they got to play aussie rules i love aussie rules um, the women playing aussie rules i just think it's awesome uh, which wish i could have done it when i was a kid so um that's probably You know, my my daughter got through all this and went, you know what, I've gone through all this, I've gone through all this pain, I'm going to play footy. And she did.
1: Amazing. I'm so glad that that came out on the other side with a real positive story to it. What achievements are you most proud of?
0: I think bringing out my daughters is probably what I'm most proud of. In the workplace, I set up a fantastic program in Western Australia. It was based on an idea called the Henderson Gap Year where we were trying to attract young people to join the shipbuilding industry. So we got support to have a year long program, for kids to go to TAFE, learn about shipbuilding, be seconded into industries, do that for a year, be fully paid, and then the idea is that they will then come and work in the shipbuilding industry and and be part of that wonderful place that we want everybody to know about. Um, We've got over 100 people doing that program at the moment. It has been fantastic. Seeing young kids get excited about shipbuilding and the Navy and coming from being unemployed and, you know, working in fast food and not really sure what they were going to do with their lives. I'm really proud that I've given young kids that opportunity.
1: And you're such a great advocate Wendy, because listening to this podcast has actually made me want to join the
0: Navy. Excellent. <laughs> when shall I sign you up, Angela? Hey, whoa, not yet. Ladies,
2: we've still got some unfinished work in the corporate world, Angela Poon. Let's do that and I'll, then I'd love I'll, you to I'll ta- sail off. I'll
0: talk, I'll talk to you later, Angela. <laughs> got it,
1: got it. I have my last question. What is your definition of high performance?
0: My definition of high performance is really when a team comes together and you're on the same page you've got the same aim you all bring something different you all appreciate each other you get there together and you're successful together so that's my idea of high performance is it's all about the team
1: all about the team such a great summary
2: well that's that time we've Done your career journey, the 18-year-old rocking up with a red suitcase, and you've certainly unpacked a lot today in that red suitcase for us. We've spoken about your personal story. It's been really just insightful to get to know you because, you know, when you meet someone and... from our end, as non-military people, when we go and especially when we're at Russell and DP1 and DP2 and you see everyone, it's, oh, I feel like a little boy again looking at everyone and sort of don't know whether we're able to ask these questions or, you know, what can we, can't we do? And
1: what, How do we refer to you and what are all the badges and the uniform I've love
2: the human side today and your compassion and warmth. But underneath that, and you undersell this, there's a real discipline a real rigour and you're very focused on the prize.
1: Absolutely, Wendy. I really loved hearing from a woman that's in a leadership position and often in a role that is usually seen as male dominated and hearing the barriers that you've Overcome and the challenges that you've overcome to get to where you are, and coming through with a humility and with some really great life lessons that you've shared with everyone. So I really appreciate uh, the time that you've spent talking to us today.
0: Oh, thanks, Angela. I, I am. It's it's um, feels a bit self indulgent to talk about all this stuff. You would probably tell me off for that, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's good. See, good
2: self-awareness, great social mastery. Beat me to it, because
0: she's a fast learner. <laughs> yeah,
2: well it is, it's? A, it's about learning and adapting, and it's, it's self-care, self-management, and it is. I, I get what you're saying. I've been interviewed a few times, and it's it's always weird when you flip it, but very reflective. It's a good exercise, isn't it? When you are interviewed, it does make you sit down and you actually have the time to reflect and make meaning. And, and and it's really clear from us interviewing you, you've got a real clear grasp of you and what you do and the impact that you have.
0: And I am really looking forward to the Strive Stronger program because I know you're going to challenge me. And I think you've learned a bit about me today, so you already know where some of my weak spots are. And, um, but I think it's going to be great. And I'm really super, super excited that we're going on the stride Stronger journey with you. And uh, I can't wait and just want to say thank you for everything you're doing to support us and looking forward to it.
2: The only way to end this program, the wizard will put in the appropriate song. So for anyone listening to this, when you do do the program, the Social Mastery Program, we're going to ask you to try a lot of different activities. Some of them you're going to look at and go, oh my goodness, what is he, what is she asking me? But in the words of the late, great Kenny Rogers, sorry, it's not great, is he? In the words of the great Kenny Rogers, you've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. So there's some strategies we're going to be talking about that you need to hold. There might be some strategies for people listening you need to drop or fold. (laughs) We are going to get everyone walking, Ange. 10,000 steps a day is my minimum. And we're going to get you maybe not running, but we're going to rev the heart rate up, up upregulate. We're also going to help people downregulate. So I just think, go to Kenny Rogers to wrap. Wendy, thank you so much for your time today.
0: Terrific. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. You too, Wendy. Thank you.